When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Oh, mama! What a play! Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. All right, welcome into the Sooner Sports Podcast. We call our Tuesday edition a game plan, and we're loaded today. Coming up... Here a little bit later on, we'll get you ready for Sooner Baseball with Skip Johnson and their Media Day press conference. Kyler Murray made it official today. He's choosing the NFL. He is completely focusing on football, though. As we tape this, there's a report tonight that maybe the A's aren't done fighting. We'll talk to Dane Brugler from The Athletic, get his perspective on where Kyler could fall in the draft order and obviously March 13th's Pro Day becomes more intriguing, as does the Combine. You know, we're sitting here post-OU Baylor hoops, and two of the three lead stories on SportsCenter are, are Kyler Murray tonight, making the decision to stick to football. So we'll dive into that with Dane Brugler coming up in just a bit. But we start in Waco, where the Sooners had the lead late, thanks to Christian Doolittle. Doolittle, right wing. Gets a pick from Bienemy. Bienemy's got it. Back right side to Manic. It's Doolittle down the lane. Jump stop, pump fake. Up and good. He powered it home. And the Sooners lead it in Waco. Do finished with 14 points, but it wasn't enough. Oklahoma ends up struggling down the stretch. They fall to Baylor 59-53. to The Sooners have now lost five in a row. Eight of their last 10. They'll square off against TCU on Saturday morning. At 11 a.m. That shot by Dew put the Sooners up 51-50 to with five minutes to go in the game. From that point forward, the final five minutes, the Sooners went one for five from the field, 
0 for 3 from the free throw line and turned the ball over twice. Lon Kruger loved the effort afterwards, but still knows improvement needs to be made. Yeah, better fight, uh, much better fight. I thought the uh, guy did a good job against the zone, uh, made a few shots, uh, you know, had an opportunity there obviously late that we didn't convert on, uh, but uh, but like like the like the spirit, like the fight, you know, and we haven't always had that. And I think uh, from a confidence standpoint, this, uh, you know, uh, obviously not handling some possessions late hurts, but uh, I think uh, they'll take some steps forward, you know, in preparation for the next one drastically different looking game than the first time these two teams played and it felt like um, you, you should have been ahead at halftime but they just kept dumping in three-pointers on you there. They made every, uh, again, defensively, I thought we did a pretty good job. And anytime we helped, you know, down in the paint or helped on a drive, uh, they knocked down anything that was open from three and uh, did a little better job second half against the three. But but they've got a lot of weapons. They, they're a good ball club, and uh, and they made, uh, made the threes in the first half. You mentioned the fight. You're down 11 halfway through the second half, and you go on a 14-2 run to take the lead. It would have been real easy to fold right there. For sure. You know, given that uh, they, they, you know, we battled. We used uh, you know, a lot of fight in the first half, uh, start second half, then uh, uh, to recover and, and regroup and knock down a couple threes during that time, which obviously is uh, always a big key against the zone. And uh, we haven't done that consistently, but uh, you know, a couple big shots there out of Matt and I think Christian, you know, to cut into that lead. And, um, and again, it's had some really good defensive possessions. Uh, offensive rebound there late hurt us. Yeah. We had a pretty good shape and uh, pretty good shape on, a, on on the night with the boards, uh, handling the not too many turnovers until they're late. But uh, a lot of a lot of things to build from. But uh, again, we've got to we've got to play better for 40 minutes. Offensive rebound got you in the possession arrow. Got you there late. Yeah, as well. exactly. That would have been nice yeah, for that to be pointed yeah, the other guy, way. Guy gets the rebound and falls to the floor. There, would like to have had that possession, uh -huh. you know, but. Uh, uh, they didn't see it that way. Well, um, do you feel some positivity, though, coming out of this game? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this group, uh, we've got to help them. We've got to help them more. This is on, you know, it's, it's always on me. And I've got to help them with confidence. I've got to help them, you know, as a staff. You know, we've got to help them with, uh, you know, get them in position to finish things better and, and try to make some shots. Again, Oklahoma, TCU, Saturday at 11 a.m. Sooners fall on the road to Baylor 59-53. to Sooners drop to 15-10. and on the season. Well, big news broke earlier this morning, Monday morning to be exact, as Kyler Murray announced that he is focusing on football. That's right. The Sooner standout quarterback, the Heisman Trophy winner, released a statement on Twitter in which he made it clear that his focus is on the NFL. Here's what the statement said. Moving forward, I am firmly and fully committing my life and time to becoming an NFL quarterback. Football has been my love and passion my entire life. I was raised to play quarterback, and I very much look forward to dedicating 100% of myself to being the best quarterback possible and winning NFL championships. I have started an extensive training program to further prepare myself for upcoming NFL workouts and interviews. I eagerly await the opportunity to continue to prove the NFL decision makers that I am the franchise quarterback in this draft. As we tape this, that tweet has received now 55,000 likes and 16,200 retweets. An exciting time for Kyler Murray. So we talked to one of the draft experts, Dane Brugler, on our Big 12 Today show on Sirius XM Radio. That's channel 375 with Gabe Eichert. And I started by asking Dane, what might this change in some of the evaluations of Kyler Murray now that they know the scouts GMs and coaches that he is 100% committed to football. 
Uh, you know, not much, just because we don't really know uh, how NFL teams are, are going to feel uh, about how he performs at the Combine. Uh, the big thing will be, which, you know, is not going to be a 40-yard dash. We're not going to be, uh, you know, pervy to the information. But how does he do behind closed doors when teams put him on the whiteboard, when they interview him, when they really grill him about being uh, 100% towards football? You know, does he love the idea of being a quarterback, or does he love playing quarterback? Uh, you know, is he just is he going the football route? Uh, you know, because uh, you know he saw the attention he received as a, as a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, uh, or is he just trying to avoid you know the bus rides between Midland and Corpus Christi in minor league baseball? So I mean, there's so many layers to the Kyler Murray uh, draft talk, and you know how you fully evaluate him, and you know it's really just way too early to have any feel for where he's going to land. There's probably only going to be two, three, four teams who seriously consider him in the first round, uh, but there will be some teams, and it's just a matter of the next few months uh, trying to whittle it down and figure out those teams. I've, you know, talking to people around the league, I've heard Miami thrown out there as a, a right. possible destination. Uh, you know, Arizona has the number one pick, and with Cliff Kingsbury there, I don't think you can just completely rule it out. Although it just it seems like a long shot, uh, especially with Josh Rosen, who they drafted in the top ten last year. Uh, but I was told don't completely uh, just rule it out. So the Kyler Murray discussion is there's so many layers uh, about, you know, what it, it, being 5'9", 190 pounds, how his skills translate to the next level, uh, where is he mentally in his development, and then which team is going to pull the trigger uh, on a player like that and go all in on a guy that they really have to shape their offense around. So it's, uh, it's really fascinating draft talk and something we'll be talking about here in the next few months. Dane, just curious. I know you've already dove all in on his tape. Uh, what do you think <laughs> about his traits? What do you uh, What do you like? What do you dislike from what you've seen from what he put on tape last season? Yeah, and it's it, it can be tough at times. Um, you know, in the in the wide open Big Twelve, where uh, you know he played behind the best offensive line in college football. Uh, you know, that plays a factor too in terms of how much time he had back there to survey the field and uh, you know wait for guys to come open. Um, you know, the coverage that he faced in the Big 12 is much different than what he's going to see in the NFL level. But just from a, you know, a natural skill set perspective, uh, I think he's a naturally accurate thrower. Uh, he's got a whip of an arm. Uh, you know, he can make the opposite hash throw uh, with placement and, you know, not labor uh, doing so. Uh, he's a pass-first quarterback. I know he's an electric athlete. and He can move around. Uh, but he has some pocket instincts. Uh, it shows an ability to uh, avoid the rush, sense where it's coming, keep his eyes downfield, buy those second-chance throws, make off-platform plays. Uh, so I think there's a lot to like with him as a playmaker. I mean, it, not surprisingly, anybody that watched him play college football can see that. Um, it just I think he's a very natural thrower, and I think I, he was a lot more accurate than I really expected. Now, again, playing in the Big 12, there's a big difference between that and going to the NFL level. And so, like I said before, those meetings and the interviews, just to find out where he is in his development and reading, breaking down coverages, understanding, you know, pre-snap reads and, uh, you know, just identifying different keys uh, when he's on the field, both pre- and post-snap, that's going to be a huge step in his development um, and where teams, you know, view him as a next-level quarterback. Uh, trying to get a better feel for, you know, where he is in his football acumen and how high of a ceiling mentally does he have to, uh, you know, handle the position and, and be the CEO of a franchise. Dane, is it fair to say that in a lot of ways, interviews when you've had 
kind of some of the issues like he did on on Radio Row with the Dan Patrick interview. Uh, they're they're going to be important for him because of that. But for quarterbacks, are these interviews more important than any other position at the Combine? Oh, without question. Um, you know, it's both from, you know, it's an intangible position. Uh, and so not just from, uh, you know, how taxing the position is from a mental standpoint in terms of, what, you know, understanding the full playbook, understanding protections, you know, knowing every route, understanding timing, and then breaking down what the defense is trying to do to you. Not only from that standpoint, but you have to be the CEO of a franchise. You have to be someone that's mature enough to handle that, um, have the mental toughness to uh, overcome failure and, you know, be okay. And Kyler Murray is a guy that, uh, you know, I, you, you could debate whether or not he's ever, you know, had to really ha- experience that type of failure. At Allen High School, uh, you know, he might have been the best uh, t- quarterback in Texas high school history. And I know A&M uh, didn't quite work out, but he didn't see a ton of playing time there. Goes to Oklahoma, wins the Heisman Trophy, uh, didn't end well in the Orange Bowl against Alabama. So, you know, it's I think there's some debate there about whether or not he's really ex- experienced failure and how he can do so at the next level. But there's no question. The interview process, which, again, we're not really going to fully understand how that goes with NFL teams. Uh, but when they put him on the whiteboard and, you know, they have uh, the offensive coordinator sit down with him and, you know, draw out plays and say, okay, you know, what are you looking for here? You know, the defense is doing this. And, you know, just to hear Kyler go through, uh, you know, just what he understands about the play and the breakdown, that'll be a huge part of where teams view him and uh, just how much of a, you know, where is he in his development? How much more does he have to go before he's ready to see live NFL snaps? By the way, speaking of the offensive line, um, a very unique offensive line combine for the Big 12, specifically Oklahoma. They've got four of their five offensive linemen mm. going to the combine. Dane, I don't know how much you've been able to go in depth, but with Bobby Evans and Cody Ford and then Drew Samia and Ben Powers, I mean, are these all guys that have a chance to get drafted? And how early could Cody Ford go? Cody Ford's a top 15 player in this draft. Um, I, he's He was dominant this year. Uh, you know, he's, He's a grizzly bear with pads on, uh, pass protection, as a run blocker. I mean, he does it all. Uh, needs to clean up a few things, but it wouldn't shock me at all if he's the first tackle drafted, uh, possibly as early as the top, you know, eight or ten picks. Uh, and then after that, I think both guards, Drew Samia and Ben Powers, I think both will be drafted. Uh, Samia, to me, is, is the better player. Uh, you know, looks the part. He's got that wide, broad-shouldered frame. Uh, looks comfortable on his feet. Uh, really powerful player. Uh, he was uh, named the Big 12 Offensive Lineman of the Year, uh, shared that with Dalton Reisner. So, I mean, there's a lot to like about Samia as uh, one of the top guards this year, maybe a top 100 pick. Ben Powers, and he's a mid-round guy. Uh, you love the story coming from the JUCO level, kind of bet on himself. Um, and, you know, he's not going to wow anybody with the athleticism, with the power, but he's just going to battle, and he doesn't lose a lot of those battles. Um, and so I think, you know, those three guys will be the first drafted. Um, and then, you know, we'll see about the left tackle. Um, I think he's maybe more of a guard at the next level. But, um, I, I mean, regardless, uh, it's pretty amazing what that offensive line at Oklahoma did this year. And, you know, some something the best one is the center, who's not even draft eligible yet. So, uh, you know, it's uh, pretty impressive. They definitely deserve the Joe Moore Award this year as the top offensive line in college football. So, again, Kyler Murray, 100% to football exciting times for the Sooner quarterback, which means his beloved sport of baseball will be left behind for now. The Oakland A's aren't giving up the fight just yet, according to some late reports tonight. 
But again, Murray seems pretty solid in his declaration. Hey, speaking of baseball, it's a big weekend for Kyler Murray's former teammates as the OU baseball team will open up their schedule at home. Real quick before we hear from Skip Johnson, the Sooners take on Cal Poly on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock, then Saturday at 2 before a Sunday game at noon against Cal Poly. The Sooners will then turn around and travel to Dallas next Tuesday to take on DBU. Skip Johnson sat down with the media to help give us some perspective on what to expect from the 2019 Sooner baseball team. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, we had a tremendous first year as the head coach. Uh, finished the year losing the championship, the regional, um, despite against a lot of odds. And the attitude of the team was really good. And looking forward to uh, the opportunity with the 2019 baseball season. Fall was really good, despite losing 60% of our pitching. And uh, got a young baseball team. And it's going to, you know, baseball gives you an opportunity. And the obstacle in that opportunity is to be in control of yourself one pitch at a time. And uh, spring has taken over, uh, kind of going into our getting ready for next week on the 15th of uh, February to start our season. And it's been uh, really good so far. Uh, knock on wood, we've kind of stayed healthy. Um, having some older guys in the middle of the field with two catchers coming back that were older and having Briley come back and Zaragoza in the middle of the field, it's good. And trying to move uh, Levi to the starting row instead of uh, relieving him this year. And uh, Wiles will be back as the one starter that we have back from last year, um, going, you know, playing off that card a little bit. And uh, um, going forward, it's going to be good. Skip, what do you think is the strength of your squad this year? I think the strength of our squad is probably uh, depth more so. You know, we have a lot of depth. They're young, but it's, you know, where there's going to be bumps and bruises and some adversity along the way. And, you know, guys gaining experience as we go through. What I was really proud from last year's team is we got better as the year went, and we were really good at the end of the year. And, you know, what we talk about day in and day out is uh, winning the last game of the season. That's what you practice for and you practice game-like for. So uh, uh, that's what we talk about in our vision of our program. How do you plan on using Kate Kamali this year? As a, as a starter. Uh, he'll uh, go in a row as a starter. Uh, won't play much infield. We'll DH but uh, uh, it'd be more as a starting pitcher. How, how have you seen him evolve pitching-wise since, uh, since last season? You know, Cade was a, a really good athlete in high school, had some adversity his senior year, didn't, didn't pitch until late in his senior year, and then we bring him in and kind of use him as in relief because we wanted him to play an everyday uh, a position for us. And this summer he went out and uh, had a good early summer. Then he, we shut him down halfway through that, uh, and then evolved him as a starting pitcher as we go through the spring. Like, uh, uh, for an example, when they first got back, we started him with, when our first inner squad, he started with uh, three innings. That was his throwing program over Christmas. And uh, um, then the next start, was, which was last uh, Friday, to four innings. And then this next start will be this Friday to five innings and try to add an inning a week as he goes through and see if he can maintain uh, and bounce back from week to week, and he's done good. Uh, he's done that well so far. 
I mean, there's not really an expectation. I think if you uh, uh, have an expectation, uh, uh, it it ends up in failure. I think the more so is his leadership and of experience and him talking to the younger guys and making sure that they understand our practice plan uh, of being game-like and, and those guys going out every day and making dwell on the team more so than an individual uh, a statistic. I think if he evolves his team, evolves himself within the team from the leadership point, I think that will will help his numbers. You know, it'll make him get to, get get to him to his go a lot faster. Yeah, with all the pitching that you're replacing, how's that affected your job, if at all? Just being the pitching coach from last year to this year, do you feel like you're putting in more work, or maybe earning? earn your paycheck more because you're because you're having to develop a new staff and, and set up you guys no I mean that's what I do I mean uh, uh, with our with our coaching staff coach Van Hook being the defense and and runs the offense and coach Overcash running uh, uh, the hitting I can just you know come out of the uh, tunnel and go to the bullpen and spend a lot of time there and and try to keep making those guys better because when they're younger, you can only take baby steps. And, and when they're older, you kind of can polish them a little bit in their game. And that's what we do mostly. I don't think it's uh, earning your paycheck as much. There's going to be a lot of more uh, um, ups and downs uh, from the learning aspect of it. Like, for an example, uh, um, we've been really harping on, hey, be in control with two strikes. You can't make them swing and miss. All you can do is throw it to the target. And uh, that development process has been tough because, as you well know, I mean, you look at uh, uh, baseball today, it's people, all they want to see people do is throw hard and hit ball far. And so uh, we're trying to teach them to pitch instead of, you know, hey, try to throw it 95 miles an hour. Throw it to a target because that's the only thing you really can control. And I think the more you talk about it and the more you practice it and you practice it game-like and the more you can be positive is, is, a, is a big deal for those guys because they're going to learn a lot faster. You lose quite a bit of production in the outfield with Steele and, and Tyler. How's that uh, group look for you right now? Uh, it's been a work in progress. I mean, uh, um, you know, we brought some guys in, uh, uh, some junior college guys in, and, and some freshmen in. It's going to be – it's going to evolve over – over the period of uh, the first month, week to week, putting guys out there, doing a little more matchup, right and left. Um, and, and Brewster's had a, you know, he had a really good day in their squad today at two home runs. So um, I think the, um, you know, going into last year, and and we talk about attitude versus talent. We were really talented, and uh, uh, in the outfield, you, you know, with Still Walker and Kyler Murray, and uh, Still Walker goes or Kyler Murray goes down. Uh, still in second base with a hamstring pull against the University of Texas, and still Walker wasn't in the lineup with a oblique pull, and uh, Brewster gets denied, and um, he has 30, maybe 30, 35 at bats on the year, and he hits a home run against the University of Texas, and he steps on home plate and talks about all oh, my name is Joe, you know, all oh, my name's Joe, and I think that was the, the it kind of just started spinning our team with that attitude. It was more about. Uh, being a good teammate and just being a guy named Joe than it was being, you know, Blake Brewster. And I think that really helped our team as, and it kind of gave us an attitude going into the regional. And he's kind of carried that on. And, you know, um, our, our team dinner, he won the Go Mitch Go uh, 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 thing uh, on, on Saturday. We voted for him and, 
and I think that's great because he showed, he's shown a lot of leadership. And he's, you know, he's went through some bumps and bruises. And he'll go through them as a senior, too, because of experiences, you know, that he's lacked coming into it. You mentioned Kyler a second ago. From your perspective, what's it been like with him making this decision, football, baseball? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, uh, Kyler's a special athlete, and I talked to him, you know, right after uh, they played Alabama. And, and I just told him, I said, Kyler, the biggest thing you can do is do what you want to do. Because at the end of the day, that's what that's what's gonna when you when you do what you want to do. At the end of the day, I think you're gonna put your heart into it. You know, looking at what I've got to solve is you know, I, yeah, I'd love to see him play baseball, but you know, football he's real instinctive. Um, I think uh, uh, football he knows because he's played it a lot more than baseball, uh, and I think Kyler's a special uh, a special human being when it comes to as an athlete. But the thing that is really unique in, in that row is uh, uh, what the University of Oklahoma did with a two-sport athlete. And you, you just don't see that. I mean, that's the story everybody's missing on it more than anything, how uh, two head coaches came together and let this in, in the university, you know, whether it's to get him to TCU, to get him back for football practice, and him evolve as a person as that happened. And, and he brought a lot of leadership to our team because he loves to win and his mindset is to win and that's what makes him great at baseball and football and baseball you know the first couple of weeks he'd go in there and, and struggle he'd go 0 for 9 well he wasn't used to doing that in football he's used to going 8 for 9 in passing so he had to evolve in the mental game in, in baseball and I think he got better as the year went and you know he probably practiced with a team maybe 10 times all year last year. That's how special of an athlete he, he, he was. What would it be like if it was 100% baseball? Take football equation, what, what would his potential be? I think it would be like Andrew McCutcheons. He'd be, a, he'd be a guy like that, you know, dynamic with his wheels, uh, dynamic bat. Uh, um, uh, you know, he played on dirt all his life, and he was getting better as a defender in the outfielder. Outfield, I mean, he, the thing with Kyler is, is he's going to work to be great. And, uh, and he expects to win. So whatever team he plays on, he's going to only help those guys. You talked about juggling things with, with Lincoln and working with him uh, to, to make that thing work. What was the most difficult part about that for you uh, working through those issues? I think making sure that he got his defensive reps, not as much as his offensive reps, his defensive reps, because he needed, he needed to be uh, evolve more as a – defender than he did an offensive player. I think that was the biggest deal for me. Uh, you know, just didn't get enough defensive reps. And uh, um, I think that was the, probably the most difficult thing. As far as, you know, him getting over there at 5.30 and getting ready to play was nothing at all. I was more worried about Kyler as, he, as a person because uh, sometimes he'd get over there tired. Uh, he played a doubleheader and we pulled him in the fourth inning. He said, I'm not tired. We sent him up in the clubhouse. He'd lay in the, you know, just lay down on the couch. And I sent somebody up there in the sixth inning. He was already asleep. So, uh, uh, you know, you could, you know, he was such a dynamic athlete and, and hard-headed at times. You know, he, I'm not tired. I'm not tired. And all of a sudden, he is really tired. Just more, you know, the toll it took on him mentally and physically as we went through the season. Are you somewhat still trying to figure things out on the right side of the infield as far as second and first? 
Uh, a little bit. I mean, we have options, we, you know, with Tanner Treadaway coming in from Seminole State, the second baseman. We have Connor McKenna. We, he was a shortstop in junior college. And right now we've been playing Connor at second and, you know, putting Treadaway in the outfield because he's a utility guy and it matches up well for us. And keeping Briley at uh, uh, third. We played actually in inter-squad today. We put Connor at uh, – at uh, uh, third and put Briley at first. So we, those guys can move around a little bit. I think if you're a baseball player, you can play any position. Uh, Coach, name one or two uh, true freshmen that you believe uh, can make a big impact on the team this year. I think wide O's will make a big impact for us, for sure. There's no doubt about that. And uh, um, the other freshmen, it'd be really tough right now to name that guy. Uh, wide O's is going to make an impact for us on the mound, for sure. What specifically do you like about what? Um, competitive, good athlete, uh, three-quarter slot, uh, strike thrower. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. He, he can do a lot of things on the mound, can hold runners, uh, can fill his position, uh, throws a sinker. He's up to 93 miles an hour. Those things are uh, good for us. see uh, Nathan Wild's role or what, what kind of steps did you want to see from him from last year to this year and do you see him being maybe that guy to, to fill Irvin's spot? No, just I mean every game for us is a Friday night. We, we want to win every game so if it takes uh, um, 11, 11 pitchers to win that one game, we're going to have to do it. I mean that's what, you know, we're it's uh, every game's a Friday night so uh, uh, I think that's the thing that uh, uh, you know, what gets out, what gets out of whack in the media is like uh, the Friday night starters. The well, it's one of your best arms, really. There's no doubt. But a Tuesday game is just as important as a Friday game or a Saturday game or a Sunday game. So we're going to try to run four starters out there, being Kay Cavalli, uh, uh, Nathan Wiles, um, Levi Prater, and Ben Abrams. Ben Abrams is another freshman that's going to get some time early. Uh, he's a right-handed pitcher from Canada. Uh, that pitched with Team Canada in, the, uh, in the, uh, the, the playoffs they just had in November. I think it was in, uh, I forget the country it was in, but I think they got ended up getting third place and Team USA got first place. You lose as much experience as you are with this group. What did they need to transfer over from last year to continue and build off the foundation of what you guys built the first year? The attitude of, their team, of the team, as much as anything, is just the attitude of being a team. Because I thought that was how powerful we were last year. Those guys loved to play with each other. They loved to practice. And being, you, you know, having that attitude was really big for us. And I think that's what the culture provides, you know, from our, from our staff, our support staff, either our strength coach or our trainer or the coaches that are around. I think that's a, a big deal for us is uh, uh, how we go about our business on a day, day in and day out. Because there's going to be some adversity because we're young. And what are we going to learn from that? you know, uh, adversity. I think that's a big thing for us is, you know, if we're going to lose, what do we learn from losing? And uh, uh, that's going to be a big point. And we're going to lose confidence or we're going to try to do something to get better day in and day out. You think you'll rotate your catchers or because you had all that experience? Absolutely. I mean, you have Brady Lindsley and uh, Justin Mitchell. One's a left-handed hitter, one's a right-handed hitter. We'll try to play the matchups and give those guys some rest. Uh, throughout the, the throughout the spring, for sure. First, I mean, you playing him there at all? We played him there in the squad a little bit. 
there's no doubt he can play first, he can play third, he can DH. Uh, Justin is probably not going to be in the outfield like he was last year, <laughs> knock on wood. So uh, uh, it's just part of what we had to do last year. Any other questions? Uh, so Coach Overcash was uh, a scout for uh, almost two decades. <coughs> what does he bring to the table when it comes to like, recruiting the Midwest, he knows, you know, a lot of the coaches in the Midwest, um, uh, and plus he understands what uh, a guy, you know, that goes to college and a guy that needs to sign pro, and he under, also understands when you have a, a high pick that he can go in the in the house and talk to those guys about, hey, this is where you develop. I mean, I think 54% of the major league rosters were all college guys last year in in the major leagues, so. There's some development going on in, in college baseball, and that's what's big. I think we lose sight of that in college baseball, and that's what's really exciting about college baseball. It adds a different element. It adds the uh, spirit to the game. When you go to a regional at uh, Tallahassee and they're going and they're and, and it's it's going crazy. Um, I forget what they start K time, K time, K time, and you gets really powerful, and all of a sudden the guy hits a walk off home run, and and the place goes crazy. You just don't see that in in professional baseball day in and day out until the playoffs start. But it's uh, uh, college baseball is about the spirit of the game, and it's about uh, uh, the University of Oklahoma playing TCU or playing Oklahoma State or somebody like that. And I think that's the spirit of the game that we sometimes lose. Well, busy show tonight. Thanks so much for downloading, and thanks so much for those of you who subscribe, and thanks for listening. If you're not a subscriber, real easy to do so. Just click that subscribe link. If you, if you listen to podcasts like I do, it's usually through Apple Podcasts. So we are the Sooner Powered by Learfield IMG logo. It's the interlocking OU. That's the Sooner Sports Podcast. There's many Sooner Podcasts out there, but that's our, the official Sooner Podcast. And I might add, if you go to Soonersports.tv slash podcast, you can just find the follow slash subscribe button right there on the player. So big week. I didn't even really get to talk softball here on the podcast today, but Patty Gasso and crew went on the road and started the season five and oh, we'll be, I guess you could say live on the podcast. We'll be taping next week's edition of the Sooner Sports Podcast from St. Pete, Clearwater, Florida, as the five and oh Sooners get ready to take on defending national champ Florida State. They've got a showdown with Kentucky and Notre Dame. And since we gave you the baseball schedule, here's what it looks like for softball coming up this week. Again, they started the season 5-0 and in Phoenix. We're off to Clearwater, Florida. On Thursday at 3 o'clock, the Sooners will take on Kentucky. That game will be televised on ESPNU. They'll follow it up with a showdown against Notre Dame. That game will be on ESPN3. As always, we'll have every contest for you on the Sooner Radio Network. Then on Friday, doubleheader action, Florida Atlantic at 9 a.m. And then backed up with a showdown against the defending national champs, Florida State. The Sooners wrap up play on Saturday against Hofstra at 9 a.m. We'll be on location with Sooner Softball taping our Friday episode of the tailgate. So until then, everybody have a great week. Thanks to Lon Kruger, Dane Brugler, and, of course, Skip Johnson. Until Friday's tailgate, Boomer Sooner, everybody. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. Make sure to get all the latest episodes online right now at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at OU on the air.
Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.